Joe Biden and his disastrous borrow and spend policies have driven up inflation and pushed the heavily regulated banking sector to the brink of disaster. As a result, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, two huge banks that cater to the tech industry, have failed, and many other banks find themselves in dire straits. Now, Biden and his radical left allies are bailing out the Silicon Valley billionaire venture capitalists who kept their money at Silicon Valley Bank. And Biden's doing it, even though Congress never gave him that power. Plus, in our Behind the Headline segment, a thousand migrants stormed their border crossing in El Paso, Texas. Jen Psaki praises President Biden for getting to work at 9 a.m. And a Maryland middle school teacher calls for a war against capitalism. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. Last week, Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest bank in America, failed. It's the largest bank collapse since the 2008 financial crisis and the second largest bank failure in American history. Then, just two days later, regulators closed New York-based Signature Bank, which at the end of the last year had $88.59 billion in deposits. So both of these are huge banks. But don't worry, the federal government is here to help. Not wasting any time, Joe Biden raced out to announce that the federal government will be bailing out all of those billionaire Silicon Valley venture capitalists who had their money in Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB for short. Meanwhile, the folks in East Palestine, Ohio, they aren't getting a bailout. Lunchpail Joe doesn't have time for them. But all those woke Silicon Valley billionaire allies of the left, well, they can always count on Joe. No matter that the economic policies of Joe Biden and the radical left led directly to the collapse of SVB, Biden's legacy of inflation is hurting all Americans. And as I'll explain in a moment, it's why SVB collapsed. And it's why a number of other banks find themselves in tough spots. Biden will bail out the billionaires and he'll do it at taxpayer expense. But there is no bailout coming for regular Americans. On the contrary, Biden is calling for higher taxes, more spending and more borrowing. And that means more inflation, higher prices, more interest rate hikes, and more economic pain for everyone on Main Street. Oh, before I go any further, I'd better let you know, because you're no, no doubt very, very, very worried about this. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, reportedly large depositors as SVB, are going to get their money back, courtesy of the federal government and all of us, the taxpayers who fund the federal government. Harry and Meghan will be just fine. So, aren't you relieved? But what exactly happened at SVB? How could this enormous bank, a financial titan of the tech world, fail? Well, in short, Joe Biden happened. Joe Biden, woke leftism, and very bad fiscal, economic, and monetary policy led directly to inflation and higher interest rates, and that led to the bank's collapse. To understand this, we've got to start at the end of the Great Recession. In order to stimulate the economy and encourage lending, by December 2008, the Federal Reserve had reduced the target rate for the federal funds for federal funds down from 5% all the way down to 0.25%. That key interest rate stayed at that low level for many years. When the COVID pandemic happened in 2020, and as Biden and the Democrats began spending enormous sums of money on COVID relief, the Federal Reserve started printing enormous quantities of money and used it to buy treasuries, funding the government's absurd, reckless, reckless spending. All that new money in the economy caused inflation to skyrocket. The consumer price index rose from just barely above zero in mid-2020 to nearly 9% in mid-2022. To fight all that inflation, the Federal Reserve has been hiking up interest rates, tightening monetary policy. Now, the federal fund rate, funds rate, which was down at 0.25% in early 2022, is at 4.75%. That has in turn pushed the interest rate, that is the yield, on treasuries up as well. 
way up. Yields on other kinds of bonds have gone up along with the yield on treasuries. They always do. And when interest rates and bond yields go up, bond prices go down. That's because a bond that has a set interest rate of, for example, say 2%, isn't worth as much as it used to be if somebody can go out and buy a new bond today that will pay the bondholder interest at, say, 4%. The value and the price of the bond with that lower interest rate drops as the interest rates on bonds go up. Now, banks like SVB raise money in two ways, from their depositors and on capital markets. As the interest rate that the government has to pay to raise money, the interest rate on treasuries goes up, so too does the cost for a bank to raise money on the capital markets. So higher interest rates meant that it costs more for SVB to raise money on the capital markets. At the same time, SVB was holding a lot of treasuries as assets. And now, it's unclear why they were doing that. They were buying a lot of 10-year treasuries, which is kind of ridiculous because buying 10-year treasuries, uh, you know, locking in that low interest rate, not really a wise idea. You're basically betting that interest rates are going to stay very low, and, and they're never going to do that. So some of this is on SVB and their, and their stupid management of the bank. But anyway, SVB bought those bonds when interest rates were extremely low. Now, thanks to inflation and the Fed's attempts to combat inflation, interest rates are much, much higher. And that means the value of the treasuries being held by SVB has fallen in value as interest rates have gone up. That's the difficult spot SVB found itself in. But there's another factor that played into the failure of SVB, and it's unique to Silicon Valley. SVB's depositors are largely tech companies. A lot of the new money that the Federal Reserve was pumping into the economy during COVID wound up in the tech sector. Money came pouring in to SVB as venture capital firms pumped money into tech companies. But it was a massive bubble. As reality set in and people tightened their belts to deal with rising prices, the tech sector bubble burst. In 2022, the tech sector hit hard times. Since the beginning of last year, over 150,000 tech workers have lost their jobs, and the pace of layoffs in the tech sector isn't showing any signs of slowing. As the tech sector declined, tech companies needed access to more and more of their cash, and that meant that SVB depositors were withdrawing their deposits from SVB in huge amounts. So, SVB needed to raise capital to fund the withdrawals and stay afloat. But the cost of capital had become very high thanks to inflation and the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes. The bank had no choice but to sell off treasury holdings to raise funds. But the value of its treasury holdings had been decimated by inflation and interest rate hikes too. Rumors began to spread about the bank's instability, which caused withdrawals to accelerate, and the downward spiral worsened into a full-fledged run of the bank that caused the bank to collapse entirely. And then regulators closed it down. And that, in a nutshell, is how Joe Biden and the Democrats destroyed Silicon Valley Bank. As for other banks... Most don't have the unique narrow base of tech sector depositors that SVB had, but many banks do have exposure to large bond portfolios that are diminishing in value thanks to Bidenflation. So we may not entirely be out of the woods quite yet. To be fair, though, it looks like Silicon Valley Bank contributed to its own demise as well at the prompting of the radical woke left. I say that because SVB was apparently not focused entirely on the health of its balance sheet and the well-being of its depositors. No, 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 no. SVB was reportedly focusing quite a bit on its own woke agenda of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Just take a look at SVB's global diversity, equity, and inclusion commitment. It includes all the woke buzzwords and key phrases. They were focused on breaking down systemic barriers. They wanted to ensure they invested in opportunities that ensured that more tech company founders and investors within a range of experiences were represented in their ecosystem, whatever that means. And they wanted to contribute to social progress. How very progressive of them. Too bad they can't do any of that now, and that's because they failed to do their main job, running a financially sound bank. One part of running a financially sound bank 
is the ability to assess and manage risk. SVB apparently wasn't very good at that. Indeed, it turns out that SVB had no chief risk officer for nine months before the bank collapsed. During that time, SVB did have a chief risk officer for Europe, Africa, and the Middle East, Jay Espera. But it appears that SVB's United Kingdom-based head of risk was spending a lot of her time on DEI initiatives. According to the Daily Mail UK, Miss Ursipa describes herself as a, quote, queer person of color from a working class background. And she has organized a number of LGBTQ initiatives, including a month-long pride campaign. She also reportedly created safe space catch-ups for staff. How wonderfully woke she is. But maybe, just maybe, Miss Espera should have been paying a bit less attention to safe spaces and pride and a bit more attention to her actual job, assessing and managing risk. Just a thought. And then there's this. A little over a year ago, SVB announced that it had, quote, committed $5 billion in sustainable finance and carbon neutral operations to support a healthier planet. $5 billion. That's a lot of money. One wonders how things might have turned out if they had instead committed all the resources to maintaining the health of their bank. In light of all of SVB's DEI nonsense and its $5 billion sustainable finance commitment, a lot of people are asking whether SVB was utilizing ESG factors, that is, environmental, social, and governance factors, in credit scoring. That's a, Congress, a question that Congress needs to get answered. I would not be surprised at all to find out that the answer is yes. Here's another important point. The tech bubble that recently popped was largely the result of the COVID lockdowns. That's why big tech companies and startups alike were flush with cash, putting huge deposits into SVB. The lockdowns pushed everyone online as they worked from home and stopped going out and shopping at stores. People spent, hu- spent huge amounts of money online, sending huge amounts of cash to the tech sector, creating an enormous boom and bubble. And then, big tech turned around and suppressed criticism of the lockdowns. They helped perpetuate the lockdowns. And doing that kept people online and kept them spending money online and kept growing that tech bubble. But then, as the economy opened back up, tech companies' revenues plummeted. The lockdown boom ended. And by inflation means people are spending less in general. So just like the rest of us, big tech is facing the reality of the horrible Biden economy. And now they need cash, and one of their biggest banks has failed, and the tech sector thinks that we, the American people, should bail them out? Absolutely not. That's just wrong. Let the Silicon Valley venture capitalists bail themselves out. They can afford it. America cannot. But that's what Joe Biden is doing, bailing out the tech sector and the Silicon Valley billionaire venture capitalists. The bailout was announced officially in a joint statement by Treasury, the Federal Reserve, and the FDIC. The statement says that all SVB depositors will be made whole. That's a full bailout for all deposits, including the ones that exceed the $250,000 cap on FDIC deposit insurance. The statement says that, quote, no losses will be borne by the taxpayer and that any losses to the deposit insurance fund to support uninsured depositors will be recovered by a special assessment on banks as required by law. How stupid do they think we are? A special assessment on banks will just be passed along to bank customers. It's an indirect tax on the vast majority of Americans. And what if the deposit insurance fund runs out of money? You can bet that the federal government will bail it out at taxpayer expense. That's basically what happened during the savings and loan crisis of the late 1980s. So Biden and Yellen and the rest of them are lying when they say that taxpayers aren't going to pay for this bailout. That's absolutely not true. It's a flat-out lie. This is a bailout of left-wing tech billionaires and elites at the expense of ordinary Americans. It's wrong, and I hope Republicans in Congress stand firmly against it. Here's another problem with the bailout. Where does any statute give the president or the Treasury Department or the Federal Reserve or the FDIC the authority to essentially issue a bailout order that ignores the $250,000 statutory limit on deposit insurance? It seems to me that this bailout is yet another end run around Congress. 
The Biden administration is stealing lawmaking power from Congress once again, ruling our country as if President Biden were a dictator, ignoring the law when it suits their political agenda to do so. Meanwhile, there is no plan to get inflation under control or get our country back on a path to real and meaningful, sustained economic growth and prosperity. On the contrary, Biden's recently announced budget calls for yet more spending, higher taxes, and enormous deficits as far as the eye can see. Fortunately, the American people are fed up with the radical left's elitist anti-freedom agenda. We, the American people, oppose lawless bailouts for wealthy, woke elites. So contact your congressmen and your senators and make sure that they understand that too. And let's pray that Republicans in Congress have the courage of their convictions and stand up resolutely against the lawlessness and radical woke leftism of Joe Biden and the Democrats. And now it's time for Behind the Headlines. If you like the content that we're providing, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel, like the video, drop a comment down in the comment section. Doing each of those things helps us immensely. Now for Behind the Headlines. First up today, an unnamed source from Customs and Border Protection reported to Breitbart News that more than 1,000 migrants attempted to storm the border crossing at El Paso and force their way into the United States on Sunday. Out of the 1,000 migrants, many of them were military-aged men. According to Breitbart, CBP officers standing the, staffing the U.S. side of the bridge prevented the group from entering the city of El Paso. The source believes the group may attempt to breach at another international bridge in the area. Now, illegal aliens flooding the border isn't necessarily news. It's hardly shocking to learn that more illegal aliens are attempting to cross into the United States. But why? Well, it's pretty simple. Because there aren't any consequences for attempting to cross illegally. Now, these migrants... And if, if they had made it into the United States, even by storming the border crossing, chances are they'd be taken into custody and then just released into the interior of the United States. So think about the calculus for the migrants. The migrants face only upside. They have a chance to get all the positives of coming to America, and there are no negative repercussions, no risk of anything negative. Our government won't punish them if they make it into the country, and the Mexican government doesn't seem any interested at all in doling out any consequences either. So this whole thing is extremely troubling, as it has been for quite some time, and, and increasingly so as Biden basically just erases the southern border. Not only does illegal immigration hurt American taxpayers, but you just can't have a country that doesn't protect its sovereign borders. They define the country. What's more, these folks are storming our border in the wake of some very interesting news coming out of El Salvador. El Salvador has been cracking down on crime and drugs, specifically focusing on the MS-13 thugs who poison that country. Since the crackdown, crime has plummeted in El Salvador and jail populations have increased. It's law and order. Hmm, what a concept. Maybe we should try that in some of our big cities here in the United States, like Minneapolis and Chicago, New York, and all those other, you know, Democrat-controlled and run uh, criminal-infested hellscapes. But where do you think these Salvadoran gangsters might flee to since they're cracking down in El Salvador? Maybe a prosperous country, which is notoriously uh, soft on crime? or maybe one where the government doesn't punish illegal border crossings at all, perhaps. To really save America and get us back to our founding principles, Republicans need to take a bold stance on border security and immigration. In fact, Republicans need to run on this issue. The left's position is both dangerous and wildly unpopular. Conservatives must unite the country behind the idea that the safety, security, and prosperity of Americans must come before that of anyone else. And that is a winning message. Second up today, Here's another story that perfectly describes the elitist attitude of the far left-wing ruling class in America. Jen Psaki, former presidential press secretary and leftist loon, now has a show on MSNBC, so she fits right in there. I'm sure you're all loyal fans and followers and viewers of her excellent show. I'm sure it's just excellent. Anyway, Psaki recently remarked on her show how surprising it was to see Joe Biden working so early in the morning 
at 9 a.m. In fact, wow, 9 a.m. That Joe Biden, he, he's just a workhorse, you know? Now, to put this in a light most favorable to Biden, Saki did explain that Biden is a night owl and he likes to work very late. Right, I'm sure he does. It's just pathetic. Is Jen Psaki so far removed from the realm of the lives of average Americans that she thinks that starting work at 9 a.m. and occasionally working late is somehow impressive? We're talking about the President of the United States, the most important job in the free world. Now, the eminent Dr. Jill Biden, Joe's wife, was interviewed last week, and she was asked, asked about Biden's physical and mental health. Her response was telling. She asked, how many 30-year-olds could get on a plane to Europe take a train to Ukraine, and meet with President Zelensky. What? Is she kidding? Because the obvious, obvious answer is very nearly every single one of them. Unless they have some disability, every single 30-year-old in this country could has the stamina and the, stamina and the ability to get on a plane to Europe and then take a train to Ukraine and then meet with President Zelensky if, if they had that access. They could certainly do that. What is she talking about? You see, the Bidens have been in high political office for a very, 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 long time. They don't know that even a 60-hour work week isn't all that impressive to a large part of the country. All across America, people regularly work late in the night and are up at work well before 9 a.m. And thanks to Bidenflation, the number of people working two or even three jobs, putting in incredibly long hours just to make ends meet, continues to increase rapidly. The radical leftist elites are completely out of touch with the vast majority of Americans. They don't understand how people live, let alone care about the struggles that people face. The leftists in power cannot empathize with our side because they have no grasp on what reality really looks like for Americans. It would be funny if it wasn't so sad and terrible. Third and finally today, if you think that the education system in this country is in fairly decent shape, I'm about to disabuse you of that silly notion. A Maryland middle school teacher has been spewing some pretty crazy stuff in her classroom, including calling for an urgent war on capitalism. In calling for a war against capitalism, she also noted that, quote, revolutions involve violence. Yes, this teacher is a crazy, crazy Marxist. And like all Marxists, she embraces violence as a necessary tool to achieve utopia. This crazy Marxist middle school teacher also apparently posts all kinds of insane opinions online, where she has talked openly about, quote, indoctrinating her students. She's happy about it. I wouldn't be surprised at all to learn that she hopes fervently for the day when teachers will spend all their time creating Marxist anti-racists instead of teaching kids useless subjects like math and science and reading and literature and things like that. So there is one good thing that came out of the terrible COVID lockdowns. When students across the country were forced into online classrooms, we all got a chance to see what teachers were actually teaching. I know many great teachers who do their jobs very well and give kids a quality education. But far, far, far too many teachers have entered the profession not because they want to teach kids, but because they want to indoctrinate kids with a specific Marxist worldview like this Maryland middle school teacher. In fact, that seems to be the primary goal of the teachers' unions. Now, most people can't afford private school, and many people can't afford the time to homeschool. But I hope all of us can take time to talk with our kids about what they're learning and correct any false teachings that are being forced upon them. And I hope that we can inspire true educators to overwhelm the system and root out all of these Marxist left-wing political activists. In fact, we should be actively recruiting and training conservative teachers, preparing them to go into the lion's den and save our kids. Parents, churches, and the conservative community, community groups in general, should all be working together to fight and counter the Marxist programming that so many kids are fed at school. Until we can root out all the Marxists, something we will only be able to do, by the way, if we achieve it through the vehicle of school choice, we must remain vigilant and make sure that falsehoods are corrected and that the truth is still getting through to our youth.
Now it's time to answer a question from our audience. If you'd like to ask a question and, ha and have me answer it on the show, you can email the question to the address in the show description or just drop it down in the comment section. Either way will work. Today, our question comes from Bill in Sacramento, California, who asks, why does it seem like the Democrats have abandoned the First Amendment and its guarantee of free speech? Well, Bill, that's an extremely good question. If it seems like the Democrats have abandoned the constitutional guarantee that the government shall not abridge our freedom of speech, that's because the Democrats have abandoned the constitutional protection for free speech. The evidence is everywhere. Thanks to Elon Musk, the Twitter files have exposed the Biden administration's massive censorship operation aimed at coercing big tech to silence conservative viewpoints. At the same time, the left has turned anti-discrimination laws designed to be tools to address real discrimination based on race and discrimination against women into weapons to force people to espouse views and participate in expression that violates their conscience and their sincerely held religious beliefs. So why have the Democrats turned against free speech and religious freedom? It's because the Democrat Party has been taken over by Marxists and socialists who aim to, aim to upend and remake American society. Freedom, free speech and religious freedom in particular, get in the way of their plan. For Marxists, like the ones who now control the Democratic Party, Individuals are only useful insofar as they serve the state or serve some other communal end. They don't believe in individual liberty, and they deny the truth that every individual has infinite value and worth as a result of being created by God in the image of God. What's more, Democrats can't achieve their Marxist goals by being honest. That's because history has demonstrated that their ideas do not work. They lead to destruction and hardship and death. That's the lesson of the 20th century. Communism and Marxism led to horrible, tremendous, awful suffering. Conservative ideas, on the other hand, are the, ideas, are the ideas of our nation's founding. Those founding principles lead to prosperity, and Americans know this deep down inside, even if some of them have had a little bit too much of the leftist Kool-Aid to drink. By suppressing free speech, the Marxists who control the Democrat Party hope to fool Americans into forgetting the truth and buying into the lies of socialism. That's why it is imperative that all of us continue to speak the truth boldly. We need to fight for free speech, religious freedom, and all of our other constitutional rights. And we need to make sure that the Democrats' assault on the First Amendment fails. America itself hangs in the balance. Well, that's all for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like the content that we're providing, please go ahead and drop a comment into the comment section, like the video, and subscribe to our channel. When you do each one of those things, it helps us grow the show and multiply its impact. And be sure to tune in next time for Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow.